Let's start with our speakers, shall we? I would like to invite to the stage someone who's going to give us some further insight into the power of different perspectives when it comes to solving complex problems. Zaina Jalil is a board director with a career ranging from diplomat, we just learned we were in Hong Kong at almost the same time, to business leader, to entrepreneur across New Zealand and Asia. Zaina draws on a rich experience of many worlds to bring equity and opportunity to those with diverse cultures, abilities, and experiences. Oh, that's already done. She holds several governance roles, is a strategic consultant and a commentator on diversity and inclusion, education, Asia business, leadership, and politics as well. Events like today are, of course, about learning, uh, so I would like to welcome to the stage, all my, she's already geared up with her Madonna microphone as well, so we're we expecting some dancing and, yeah, dancing, she's dancing. totally down for the dancing, and theme tunes, and uh, would like to welcome to the stage right now, Zaina Jalil. I think you're on. I'm on? Yeah. yeah. You're on. I'll leave you to it. Thank you. What a fantastic turnout. It's great to see so much interest in diversity and inclusion. To be honest though, and let's be honest, we don't really have a choice. We're already very diverse. We're home to more than 213 ethnicities and 160 languages. Almost 40% of Kiwis identify as Maori, Pacific, or Asian. And here in Auckland, that's 55%. One in four of us weren't born in New Zealand. And again, in Auckland, that's as high as 45%. One in four have disabilities. We have an aging population. And I could go on, but you get the picture. And reflecting these demographics across New Zealand, our organizations are becoming more diverse. Often though, even unconsciously, diversity can be seen as a problem or, or at least a challenge. But the reality is, diversity delivers. Research shows us that diverse and inclusive teams are more creative, more innovative, resilient and empathetic. They make better decisions, they're more productive and profitable you know that already. So when I was thinking of what to share with you today that you haven't heard already, especially for those of you who've been to these events before, I thought I'd cheat and tell you my story. So indulge me for a few seconds, actually a few minutes maybe, the story's a bit longer. Um, I arrived in New Zealand 21 years ago um, from Fiji for tertiary studies. I did quite well at university, I graduated top student in my degree program. But the message I used to hear again and again was how difficult it was for migrants to secure meaningful employment. You know, everyone asks for New Zealand experience, but no one wants to be the first to give it. And I was determined that I wouldn't end up being an overqualified taxi driver. We had so many of them already. And I had another problem. I didn't know how to drive. <laughs> I was lucky. 
You know, the white men in the room, I think you get a lot of flack, but I was lucky because a Pakia man took a chance on me. He offered me my first job. It was part-time in my final year of study, but it was related to my degree, and it led to a full-time position. That first job was absolutely critical in helping me to get my foot in the door in New Zealand. My parents weren't so lucky. They arrived after I graduated. They both had good jobs in Fiji. My mother was a, um, a high-profile school principal and community leader, and my, uh, my father worked for the Inland Revenue. And in New Zealand, my mother used to travel nearly 70 kilometers a day to go and do relief teaching jobs in South Auckland because they were the only schools that would give her a job. And this was at a time when we had a teacher shortage in New Zealand. Her more than 20 years of teaching experience, including roles like being on the board of Education International, didn't count for anything here. She has a permanent leadership position now. She's still teaching. But it took an unnecessary length of time, considerable stress, and demoralization to get there. You know, we currently have a significant number of Kiwis returning home from overseas, some who've been away for many years. And like migrants, they too are bringing international knowledge, experience, and connections. For businesses that engage internationally, having staff on your team with those knowledge and connections is an absolute asset. And we need to get better at recognizing that. From that initial role, I moved to a consultancy firm and then to the public sector where I worked for 11 years, 10 of which I was based in Asia. And in Asia, I had a number of roles that all were centered around promoting New Zealand as a trade investment and education partner and helping our businesses grow their reputation and revenue. One of those roles was as New Zealand Trade Commissioner to Singapore. I was the youngest, the only one of Indian and Pacific heritage, and one of the few women at the time. I returned to New Zealand five years ago, and I've, uh, in that time I've been a partner in a consulting firm. I run my own consulting practice, and as Mel said, I have a few governance roles. You know, when people hear of my career journey, the sentiment I often hear is, you've done well for yourself. The next words, often unspoken, but nonetheless felt are, you've done really well for a young, brown, migrant woman. And perhaps, sadly, that's true. Because I've had to work twice as hard, not to deliver results, but to prove I could. When I asked for the location of one of my roles to be moved, because it made business sense, I was told it was too expensive. But it wasn't too expensive for my male successor. It's great that the gender pay gap is closing, but it's not closing fast enough if you're an ethnic woman. There are now more CEOs and board members, women CEOs and board members than we've had in the past. But the representation of Maori, Pacific and Asian women in these roles remains woefully low. I have often been made to feel that I should be grateful for the roles that I've had in my career. And I am grateful. 
But we all know that no one hires you as a favor. You get hired because people know you can deliver. I felt the burden of the communities that I represent. Because if someone from a dominant group screws up, we don't stop hiring people from those groups. But if you screw up as a minority, there's a view that perhaps your whole community is not fit. Simply having a diverse group of people isn't enough. If those people don't feel included, empowered, and able to contribute, if they don't feel they belong. So what I want to talk about today, finally got to the point, um, is discomfort. As humans, we go to great lengths to try and avoid situations which make us feel uncomfortable. It's natural, right? But if we look across our lives, our education, our career, we often learn, feel fulfilled, and achieve through navigating discomfort. But there are varying degrees of discomfort. There's the discomfort we feel when we engage with people who are different from ourselves. The discomfort we feel when we do something in a way that's different from how we've done it in the past. The discomfort we feel when we are uncertain about what is right or wrong when engaging with people from different cultures and identities. Take a moment to look around this room. It's a diverse audience, but we are connected by our privilege. The privilege that enables us to be at an event like this. So with privilege must come responsibility. The responsibility to be a voice for those who can't be here. The responsibility to help build a country, workplaces and communities where all our people feel respected and valued. A country where health and education outcomes don't depend on where you live or the color of your skin. Where your ability to secure a job doesn't depend on whether or not you have an Anglo-Saxon name. Where promotion doesn't depend on whether or not you have the right contacts or went to the right schools. A country where you don't face harassment or discrimination at work because of your gender. The typical approach to diversity is to record the number of people in each diversity box. You know, so things like gender, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, physical ability, age, beliefs, socioeconomic background and education. And we are seeing more and more organizations reporting in this way. But we are in such a hurry to put people into boxes that we completely miss the intersectionality that the various forms of diversity they represent can bring. We also fail to see that people have the potential to bring a lot more to the table than ticks in a box. Sadly, such tick box exercises continue today. If anything, even more so, because selection panels are under a lot of pressure to ensure their shortlists are diverse. Tick box exercises manifest in other ways too. It's what I call the dial a diversity approach. Anyone heard of dial a diversity? Yeah? It's what happens when the few Māori in an organization get called on every time someone feels there's a need for a karakia or a pōwhiri or a waiata. It's what happens when, as a woman of color, you get invited at the last minute to join a panel because someone's realized that it doesn't look very diverse. 
A tick box approach also perpetuates stereotypes. You know, we expect a token Pacific or Asian person at the table to represent the views of entire communities, communities that are very diverse. The same applies for people with disabilities and gender minorities. You know, I like to think that most people generally have good intentions when it comes to diversity and inclusion. But what we do, or how we do it, doesn't always give us the results that we are after. Partly, that's because, you know, the world has changed, and we are still using old systems and processes to try and achieve new results. Some of you may be familiar with an initiative called Gandhi Niwas. It's the brainchild of a Kiwi Indian woman, um, Ranjana Patel. She won the Innovator of the Year at this year's New Zealand of the Year Awards. So a few years ago, New Zealand police, so this is in counties Manukau, contacted Ranjana because there was a very high incidence of deaths among South Asian women who were victims of domestic violence. So four out of 14 deaths, uh, deaths were South Asian women, and of course we weren't, you know, that wasn't proportional to our population. So Ranjana did some research, spoke with the community, and developed this initiative, which focuses on rehabilitating the perpetrators rather than taking the women and children out of the home every time there's a police call-out. Gandhiniwas provides a safe place for the police to take the perpetrators to. They receive counselling and support to try and change their behaviours, and it's a safe place for them to stay while they cool down. It started as an initiative to support the South Asian community. Now it services the needs for everyone, and actually the proportion of South Asian users is, is much lower. An independent review was undertaken by Massey University last year, and they found that this initiative achieved far better results than most traditional programs focused on reducing domestic violence. But when they started, Ranjana and her team got a lot of flack. People questioned why they were working with perpetrators rather than the victims. Why were they not providing support to the victims? But as she says, the victims weren't causing the problem. And I share this story because it demonstrates the power of thinking differently to try and achieve different results. It shows the power of engaging with the community who know and who have a better understanding of solutions to community problems. And also because it's another example of the fact that, you know, trying to achieve those results is not comfortable always. One of the most common diversity and inclusion practices is to try and fix women and minorities when actually what needs fixing is our systems. As an example, you know, this is about sending women on leadership development programs. Nothing wrong with leadership development programs, they're great, but it's not just women who need them. In fact, if you look at political leadership around the world, countries that have fared better through COVID were the ones led by women. One of the organizations that I work with is Tuputoa. And just going through a scan of the room, I know that there are a number of you here who work with Tuputoa. Their vision is to grow Maori and Pacific leaders for greater Aotearoa. And one of the ways they do this is by securing internships for Maori and Pacific tertiary students in corporate roles. While they prepare their interns you know, for the corporate world, they also work with their corporate and public sector partners to lift their cultural capability 
so that these organizations can provide environments where the interns can flourish. This approach recognizes that diversity encompasses everyone, not just minorities. And it recognizes that simply appointing people to roles is not enough if the culture and environment isn't one where they can thrive, where they can belong. While Tupatoa's focus has been at the entry level, you know, the principles that are part of that program can be applied at any stage of, and at every level of organizations. I said I wanted to talk about discomfort. Part of that is recognizing that we don't have all the answers. And even with all the best intentions in the world, we can get it wrong. And that's okay. We can learn and we can grow. A very simple thing that we can all do is to get to know our colleagues as people first and teammates later. We may have different identities, but we all share common human values. You know, understand their motivations, their fears, and share yours. COVID-19 lockdowns gave us a window into our colleagues' lives in ways that would have been unimaginable before. Let's not lose those learnings. If you're in a position of leadership, use it. Be a good example and call out behaviors that are unacceptable. Sponsor someone who isn't in your image. It's very hard to be what you can't see. Use your privilege to be an ally. And let's not underestimate the important role that men play in achieving gender equity. So can we just, you know, put our hands together for the men in the room? Part of the problem with diversity and inclusion initiatives is that often we are talking to ourselves and we're not going to achieve change if we continue to do that. Review your systems to ensure they don't promote similarity. Develop cultural capability, particularly as it re uh, relates to recruitment, performance reviews, and retention. Provide support, not judgment. As an example, women's salaries and likelihood of promotion fall when they become mothers. But pay bias doesn't affect fathers. And if that's not bad enough, we also have to deal with being seen as either too ambitious or not committed enough. Biases are real and we all have them. You know, often these come from a place of fear, a fear of being displaced somehow, a fear of the unknown. So challenge yourself and challenge others when you see biases in action. Auckland is already one of the most diverse cities in the world. I dream of a day when New Zealand is recognized as the most inclusive country. A country where my daughter is able to realize her potential in the same way as my son. Where my children aren't discriminated against because of their color. Where they don't lose out on opportunities because of the connections that their parents don't have. That day is possible. We can all make it possible. Materongo komohia, matemohia komarama, matemarama kamatau, matematau kaora. Through information comes awareness. Through awareness comes understanding. Through understanding comes knowledge. Through knowledge 
comes life and well-being. We've all experienced discomfort in our personal journeys. It's time we went on a collective journey to face some uncomfortable truths, to experience discomfort, and to be the change we want to see. Nō reira, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa.